Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob. I am one of your hosts, Peter Madrigal. What's up, guys? I'm Rob Federick. And I'm Rob Schulte. Here we are again, dudes. I am so excited for this episode. Yeah, actually, me too. I'm very, I'm very, very curious, very excited about this episode because um, it's going to be really hard for me to, um, how, how, how do you say it, judge some of my own work. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it really is. Uh, there's a bias here, but uh, but I definitely feel like it was one of those uh, shorts that we didn't need to get reviewed. And on top of that, Rob, you are kind of our audience for this one. So I am. You know, we, we will definitely be deferring to you to see what your comments are about this one. Would you like to tell everybody what the film is for today? Oh, well, of course. We're watching The Rive and Destiny. Woo! Woo! Created by you, Rob. Directed by you. Uh, you did the visual effects. You've had this idea for years. I don't want to take away your thing. Produced by Peter. Yeah. Jesus, Boom, I mean, but let's get into the details. I don't want to yeah. I don't want to read the back of the box quite yet cuz I want to I want some backstory. So <laughs> the Riven franchise was developed when I was about four I want to say like 13 14 years old. So it's been like 22 years. Holy shit. In the making and it's this massive sci-fi world that I've been creating uh, and building upon, which is, you know, there's three films that kind of encompass the main story of what The Riven is. But because I was a, you know, young budding filmmaker and I was doing just music videos and stuff like that, like, you know, I knew that nobody was really going to give me $100 million right off the bat to make really? a major movie. <laughs> what was weird though, was when I did talk to studio executives about this property, I would always get the same responses. Like, this is amazing. They will take it from you. You will not direct it until you're some sort of a name. And I got kind of tired about that. And I decided, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna make a short film, at least just to show a glimpse of that world, but also that I am worthy to direct these movies and that, you know, I can understand the vision of what needed to happen. And then it, it just so happens that at the point when I was done with this movie, I met Mr. Peter Madrigal for the first time. <laughs> um, Peter, you want to tell me a little bit about that meeting? Yeah, sure. So um, we went to a um, we went to a lunch meeting with an old friend of mine uh, and, and Rob's actually of uh, Mr. Vance Owen, who actually is a producer yeah. Uh, yeah, he himself, is. he produced the movie Empire State. He produ he produced a bunch of movies. You can go look him up on IMDb. So anyway, Rob and I had a lunch with him at the Peninsula. Yeah, I believe so. Over yeah. there in Beverly Hills, of all places, and um, that's where I uh, that's where I met Rob. He wanted me to really uh, he wanted to really introduce me to uh, Rob and and what what I got to know about him is that he's a really good director. But I wanted to know more about him because you know Vance was going on and on and on about this guy and <laughs> seriously. So I wanted to read some of his material and what Rob gave me was the Riven Destiny right. So I yeah. read it, and the same day, I call up, call him up, and I'm like, "Hey, um, so can I produce this?" Yeah, it was Whoa. it was really funny because I, I, it was actually we then went to a meeting. I got Peter a meeting at uh, at Lionsgate to pitch to uh, one of the television networks that they own uh, a, a series that he was working on with Tom Sandoval. But the whole conversation shifted towards to the, the Riven. Riven. Yes. And, wow. and like Peter was like, I really need to get involved with this. And back then, I'm going to be honest. I mean, I, I had met Peter like a day 
I, we hit it off because we were both sci-fi geeks and we loved the same movies and stuff. And we, I could tell that we were going to be friends. But at the same time, in the back of my head, I'd met so many producers that were like, oh, yeah, man, I want to get involved and produce something with you. And then they never really get the ball rolling or they See, didn't the find. Thing, well, the thing is about producing is right. it's um it's all about the follow through. And it's just like that in anything in life. You know what I mean? Like, for instance, this very podcast. Right. We could talk True. about it all the time, but it's about the follow through and whether we make it and actually record episodes or not. You know what I mean? You could talk yep. all you want about like doing something, but it's whether or not you follow through with it. It's just like in golf, you know, the, the backswing is great, you know, but if you don't follow through your, your shot's going to go nowhere, right. you know? And wow. so, yeah. so yeah, so I read the script. I, I was thoroughly enthralled and then uh, I started raising money for it, which I got to tell you, I mean, we, this is a, a long story short, but over the Riven Destiny took a span of four and a half years to make just because it was wow. so ambitious. It was so big in scope for what a, what like a 14 minute film was supposed yes. to be. We we didn't want to settle for half ass. We wanted to make it right. So Peter set out to find the funds. And, and, and this just goes to show that Peter was a producer from the very start. And it, you know, as a director. I'm very grateful to have a producer that's on the same wave, wavelength that I am, that's just determined to do it no matter what. And, mm -hmm. and I think that that perseverance that Peter had, as well as everybody else that we brought along in the pre-production process, through the production process, and then the post-production process, really was the culmination of getting this wonderful little short film made that, man, was... was uh, was a real big technical challenge. Uh, we were hailed at one point by sci-fi bloggers as the avatar of short films, which was kind Holy of a shit. That was that was pr probably one of the more flattering remarks I've ever had in my entire yeah, career. That so flattering. that wow. was pretty cool. Guys, I gotta yeah. say real quick, like uh. I feel so lucky that you wanted to do a podcast with me. You know what I mean? Like just hearing this backstory and no, I mean I know you guys follow through. We're 10 episodes in or whatever the heck it is. Right, but right. like, I have got some fucking masterminds here. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, man. Thank you, Rob. But, uh, yeah, so then the the film went out, uh, and, and now it's out there for everybody to see. So I think it's a really great opportunity for us to review it and see if uh, our audience uh, feels the same or not, you know? Or expands, actually. There could be some people on here that never saw it. Right. And then they can just go to YouTube right now. Or actually, it's on my uh, Instagram page. You right. can go watch the movie right now. That's right. how Seriously. I saw it for the first time, Peter, actually, was your Instagram page. Wow. Wow. And then I've not done that much for other people. But like when people have a cultivated and like, oh, here's some movies. Here's some videos. It's like, oh, shit. What? I had no idea. And so I picked it up, and then you did like a movie Monday uh, before we were really all hanging out, and just like learning about this sort of stuff was incredible. Wow. But wow. guys, should I read the back of the metaphorical box for right, this? Right, but right. Uh, here we go. After his ship is shot down behind enemy lines, a warrior must protect a sacred emissary that carries with her a key to locating a mythological weapon believed that she can bring an end to a universal war. Wow. Ooh. So, Already, Peter, I mean, like your mind is reeling with just that, you know? Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. Peter, do you want to tell the audience who uh, who is starring in this film? Okay. So the star of this film, <clears throat> his name is Jude. He goes by Jude B. Scott. He's Jude Madrigal. <laughs> and he's my younger brother. 
And that nice. uh, that story in and of itself is very interesting. Levis. Rob, myself, and Levis, we were auditioning actors and actresses to play the 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 the, the two main roles. And we couldn't find anybody. We just kept on auditioning, especially for Kajorian. We kept on auditioning, kept on auditioning, could not find anyone. So then one night, Rob and I went to uh, get some drinks. Yeah, right? we needed to blow off some we steam. It was, it was steam a long we were, work yeah, week. Yeah, because yeah. we just kept on going through different guys like over and over. And then we we're like, OK, yeah, none yeah. of these guys are working. Right. And so Rob comes up with the brilliant idea of like, oh, why don't we just get your brother to do it? Well, <laughs> I know that. And the reason I said that, too, is because Peter was saying, hey, look, my brother's been acting and stuff like that. And then he sent me a short film that Jude starred in, which just blew my mind on how much of a of a, you know, of an artist, but also what a chameleon this dude was like. It was a guy who lost himself in a role and he didn't have any fear. So we met up at a Starbucks the next day. Well, I'm going to tell him, I'm going to tell, I'm going to say the story before I'm going to yeah, tell yeah, him yeah, about, go, go. about my little meeting with my brother. So right, right, we were living right. in a, in a, on Cloverdale in West Hollywood, oh, right? Yeah. That's where you were living yeah. back then. I remember that. Apartment. And, uh, yeah. and we go out to the balcony and my brother is smoking a cigarette and I'm like, Oh, okay. I need to talk to you. Right. He's like, yeah, what's up? What's the, what's the matter? And I was all like, he's smoking a cigarette and drinking some whiskey. Right. This is this is this is Jude, man. Like <laughs> he's got Jude. he's got some style, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I was all like, like so, you do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I was all like, so Rob and I want you to play Kajorian, and and he almost like started laughing. He, he almost like you know uh, coughed out his drink. Oh really? I didn't notice. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, amazing. Yeah, he I started didn't laughing, that. and then he stopped. And he's all like, uh, wait a second, you want me to play who and what now? <laughs> I can play a bum all day long, but you want me to play a general? And I was like, yeah, yeah, we want you to do that. And he was all like, okay, let's go. Sounds good. Bring so the next on. day, he, yeah, he stopped drinking, stopped smoking. He put like 10 pounds of muscle yeah, on. No, the next day they had really a meeting hard. at the Coffee Bean. Yeah, at the, it was, yeah Coffee Bean or Coffee Starbucks? Bean. Yeah, where's Coffee, Coffee Bean? Bean? I have a picture of that meeting too. That's right. And I that was the first time I met Jude, but we instantly clicked. And I just knew he was the right guy, you know? And, and we had our Kajorian, which we had been spending probably like a good month looking for. And, and you know, in terms of a short film, that's a long time, you know? Yeah, sure. But no, and then we, we set out to do it. And this dude just really enveloped the character. For all of those who don't know, or if you guys haven't, uh, Rob, is uh, there is a behind-the-scenes uh, featurette that we released called Becoming Kajorian, which details a little bit about his transformation and all the things that Jude went through. But honestly, you know, as much as it's, you know, something that I wrote and directed, that movie didn't come alive just because of that. It really shines because Jude is just a phenomenal performer. And it, and, and he really brought that movie. Uh, like a lot of people really like his performance in it. I don't know if you feel the same way or whatever, but we couldn't, we can just dive right into it. And I would love to give you guys some of the behind the scenes insights. Peter, I'm sure has a ton of great stories to tell. <laughs> I do have one question before we yes, jump sir. in. Yeah. Can you set the scene to the universe of like Kajorian and the villains? And just For so sure. we kind of like know, cause we start in media Ray and I right. would like to right. just like, just, I don't want to give too much away, but I want people to know that like this is hard and fast and like right. you are sent right in there. Right, right. Which was the intention of the short was to get straight to the action. I, I, I got to say, I've seen too many short films that just take too long to get to the action. And Good then the point. action lasts point. 30 seconds. That's where they put like all their resources and then that's it. We didn't want to do that with this film. We wanted to bring you straight into the action, keep you interested, keep you engaged all the way throughout while telling a story. But if... 
you want to dive deeper into the mythology, the Riven universe, right? The, the whole story of the Riven takes place in a universe known as the Parallels. And it's at war because the creators of the Parallels, which were these like interdimensional demon, de deities, I should say, formed a governing race of beings called the Anadain. And they were supposed to be these celestial, angelic kind of guardians that would drive this universe into utopia. But because they were so perfect, they started purging out all imperfection. Everything that was wrong with the parallels, uh, they started killing everything. And they eventually corrupted themselves and became a force of evil. And the, oh, the hierarchs, shit. in order to control that because it was getting out of their hands, they decided to pour their remaining essence of power into a weapon. And the weapon was called the Riven, which is a sword. And it would be wielded by one warrior that could bring balance and end this war against the Anadain. Fast forward to where we are in the short film, which is Kathigana, a planet in the parallels that is very distinct because it orbits no star. It actually orbits a oh, black shit. hole. And it's forces, the gravitational forces, the, the, the world is ionized because of the, the tremendous gravitational pulls and stuff like that, that it bred these ra this race of beings called the Kathigas who are very, very, very powerful and have been the only planet to actually withstand Anadain attacks. Because when an Anadain force comes into the planet, they wipe it out within a matter of days. This has kind of been the epicenter of the war for hundreds of years because they're a warrior race that have been able to contain the Anadain. And Kajorian is their most revered commander, their most revered hero. And he has been charged with protecting an emissary that may hold, or, or that does hold, a cryptogram, which is a map to the Riven. And uh, that's where our story starts. So, yeah, Peter. Um, so this, do you want to take this part where the ship is shaken and someone's hurt? So the intro, the the introduction, the, the we see the the Riven crawl, and then we see all of um, the information, the relevant information, right. and then we blast right into the spaceship that is actually crashing onto the planet's surface. Now, about about that shot, yeah. um, uh, when when. When the original rough cut that Rob did with the all the right. all of the trappings already installed, the CGI, etc., yeah. he sent it to me, and I was all like, "It doesn't, it doesn't, it, it just like appears on the side of the ship. It doesn't have that punch." And I was like, yeah. "Rob, we need a punch in, like you know, it's like a super zoom into the spaceship." Right. You know, I remember having that conversation this with you. It was a great idea because I remember I was testing the visual effects, and initially it was just going to be like we see the surface of Kathigana and the ship was coming in, but then. Peter was like, well, what if we just saw like a little speck of light, like in the distance, and then you just zoom in right into the And, and I was Ooh. like, that, that just worked. It, it just yeah. brought you right into the action where it's just boom, the music kicks up. Well, it was, it was all about you too, because you were all like, you know, you wanted the entire movie to be about action, but it didn't seem like the, uh, the intro was right, like right. very action-y enough. It, it didn't have that, that punch. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And for me, as like, as a, as a pure viewer, like what I see is someone who seems to be in almost like a space medieval armor, right? Uh, driving this ship, flying this ship, and an injured—I can't tell. It's a woman, but she's got some sort of armor on. She might have wings. I don't know, but it's like I am hooked. Like he's got glowing eyes, but they are on a mission somewhere. Yes. And, and that was the idea, Rob. Like, it's really cool that you're saying that because the intention of the film wasn't obviously we can't dive. We don't have the time to dive into all the mythology, but let's have it present within the production design and the costumes and stuff like that to create enough intrigue and mystery so that you want to know more about these characters. And 
I have a big fascination with medieval culture and I love sci-fi and I kind of like to merge the two. And I like to find that the Riven is a very healthy mix of the two. And um, yeah, that was what we were intending for. And and yeah, we wanted just to, again, to grab you real quick and, and just bring you into this action. And then the ship crashes and now we're on the surface of Kathigana and this woman who is the emissary is is uh, mortally injured. She she's bleeding profusely from the abdomen, and Kajorian uses a, a a quick kind of patch heal uh, crystal nano nanotech. Yeah, it's like a nanotech uh, thing that just kind of dives in, and, and he even says it. This will only slow the bleeding. It's it's you know basically saying it's not gonna it's not gonna save you. You know yeah. It's gonna it's gonna buy us time. Because who knows who someone could come to save us both. I mean, from my perspective. Like, it's like, we need to buy time for something, but we're not sure what, because as I'm watching this, I'm like, okay, I don't know where they're at. I don't know what's going on, but I know that there's a sense of urgency and I need right. them both to stay alive. It, that's exactly what we wanted to create. So then Kajorian starts looking around and he starts trying to contact his people, contact his men, but he can't get through. And then he senses that so there's something stirring or not stirring. It's very silent. And she's trying to give him... Um, some sort of relic. It looks like a, a glowing rock with writing on it. Right. And this is the cryptogram. This is the map to the Riven. She says, this is the, you know, this is the key to finding the Riven's location. And the thing that we are developing here, and I don't know if you got this, Rob, is that there's, there's two opposing forces at work, right? Mm -hmm. The emissary believes to her total core that the Riven and the, the, the legend of the Riven and, and, and the mythological weapon that can end the war, this is all real. And Kajorian, who is more, has seen a lot of war and battle and bloodshed, kind of is like- Stuck in reality. He's stuck more in reality. He's like, look, I, I was charged with protecting you. You're dying, you're my mission. I don't care about all this hocus pocus shit. I just got to save you and get you out of here because that is my directive. That is uh, what I'm- The way I'm, I looked yeah. at it was like, uh, if you look at the new, A New Hope, Star Wars, um, the way Han Solo reacts to like, oh, the uh, Oki were uh, and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster. Your side, yes, you know, that's what it reminded yeah. me of. You know, yeah, I mean, it's like it's this guy's like, Psh, I've been in one end of this galaxy to another, sweetheart. I only know that life and death. We got the Anadayin mm -hmm. chasing us, and I'm not going to believe in an ancient weapon that can end the war. Oh my right. God, just right. enough. You know, right. yeah, that's the way I saw. It. You know, he's very dismissive of her. And I do like when he senses, when Kajorian senses that something is in the area, we get a good, a, like a more clear view of what his tech can do, which the visuals are really cool. I didn't actually expect to see like things projecting outside of his armor, you know? Right. And right. so as he's scanning the area, we get these cool visuals while we're also seeing that like, oh, he's this is more than armor. This is also tech to help him survive and hunt, maybe. Exactly. But, uh, and then she starts screaming. Right. So I don't know if this is fully clear, but it, it, and it, you know, we did put a line in there to try to make it clear. But essentially, the Anadayin have the power to invade your mind. They, they can bring you to uncontrollable fear, which is how they are able to wipe out so many planets because they basically render you useless. The Cathigas are the only ones that are kind of immune to this. And I think Kajorian says it, you know, be careful. We have to be quiet. The, the Anadayin can attack your mind. And, it, and, it, and yes. as soon as he steps off and he's trying to figure out whether or not they're close, you hear this kind of bass pulsing sound. And that's what makes 
the the emissary just scream with uncontrollable fear and run away and it's almost like her mind is being invaded that psychic makes so much sense like i love that about this because it is all there and that's what i was starting to get on my like third viewing of this but i love having that little bit of extra because it's it's one of those things you can go back in and find something new and that's what we've talked about in a lot of our episodes so far it's like when movies and short films or anything of this matter are able to like be rewatched and you still can pick out pieces that's so much fun Awesome. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Like yeah. that, I can appreciate that. Uh, uh, like any any of the movies that we've uh, reviewed so far up until this point, that's one thing that I can really appreciate is going the rewatchability, going back and like, oh wow, I never noticed that, you know? Right. And we wanted people to dive in deeper into the Riven because ultimately we want people to to want to know more about this world and this story. So, you know, if if they're going back and f- discovering new things or noticing new little Easter eggs that we've put in there. It's it's better. It's cooler. You know, oh, there's yeah. a lot of subtle detail totally. in this short film that that is is, you know, has tons of of writings and, and, and mythology behind it. So the hunt is on because the emissary gets thrown against a rock, but her vital signs are still OK, or at least where they were previously. Yeah, they're they're pretty much stable, but, you know, she's she's in pretty bad shape. Like she's yeah. not immediately dead, but but, you know. For now, she's she's sort of holding on. And and that has a deep kind of rooted metaphor in that, you know, she she can't quite die until something is going to be done about this uh, cryptogram. But that's that's just kind of in the meta of this thing. One little caveat that I'm going to put in here right now before we get into the engagement part and like the the, the fight scene itself. Um, one thing that I really loved about the script was uh, it, it, it kind of like. The way that Rob described the uh, Kathigas to me and the way that he described the Anadayin to me was like was like the difference between good and evil. So the Anadayin looks like an angel and and the and and Kajorian looks kind of like a demon, right? So the yes. Anadayin is the one that's the evil one, but they look good. And Kajorian, you know, he looks like a demon a little bit, you know, right, with the right. black eyes, yeah. but that's not his fault. You know, it's a part of the um Part of uh, part of his the, the creation of the uh, Cathigas, you know, right. it's where it's they genetics, live. It's yeah. genetics, yeah. And uh, but he looks kind of like a demon, you know. But it's it's kind of reversed. The angel looks like the bad guy, and the demon lo- is is the good guy. You know, the bad yeah, guy looks like, like an angel, like a like a, 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 a like holy aura yes. around him, this yeah. this demon or this this angelic figure. I mean, I guess that's a little redundant on my end, right? But like from uh, the audience perspective. I didn't know what to think. I wasn't sure if like a switcheroo was going to be pulled on me at this point. Right. And the Anadayin are, are essentially beings of concentrated light, which was actually not entirely my concept or design. I remember back in the days when I was like 12 or so and I was writing this, I had a friend of mine who's actually the sound designer for the movie. His name is Matthias. And he was like, it'd be cool if we could somehow bring some creature of light into this world. Yeah. And that's when I really started thinking about it. And I developed the Anadayin that they have this kind of core, but radiate this sort of light. And when I saw them, they were I'm like when I saw them in my mind and I started putting the concept drawings together, I realized they look very angelic and light is kind of symbolic of, of you know, good and God. And, so, and in this case, it's almost used as a, an intimidation of power and stuff. So I thought I thought it was just an interesting dynamic. And Kajorian who's lived in a planet with, that has no sun. It's basically a blue 
Aurora Borealis effect that's pretty much constant. He's the complete opposite. He's pale. His eyes are blacked. Like the corneas are blacked out because, you know, there's no like, you know, they, they can kind of see in low light. And uh, it was just an interesting dynamic that I, I, you know, Peter really enjoyed that. I thought so. I thought it was uh, I thought it was one of the best uh, parts of the, your, your entire concept, you know. And, uh, you know, that's not to say that, you know, the the the, cre- the Anadain themselves, they were um, they were created by celestial beings. Right. 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 So they're supposed to be angelic beings. You know? yeah. And then, of course, uh, the Kathigas, they're not exactly, you know, they're, they're humanoids. But because right. they they because of the Darwinism that, that, uh, right. that happened. Right. Right. You know, right. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, they're they're on a they're on a planet surrounded by a black uh, orbiting a black hole. I mean. You know what? What are you going to come out with? You're gonna your your eyeballs are going to be able to focus more in, in at night. So right. it all makes right. it makes sense from a um, from a creation standpoint. And this is I got to just throw in a little compliment here. I know that we're we're going to be doing this quite a bit, probably Peter. But this is the only reason why I know that Peter Madrigal is the right producer for this movie because. This guy gets the mythology, he eats it up, and and he really believes in it, which is, again, something that, as a director, you always want to stand behind, uh, sorry, stand in front of producers that have your back that they get it. So I appreciate that very much. Oh. Talk to me about this engagement. Talk to me about this first part of the fight. Like, I it, it looks... It looks real. Let me put that out there. But like, how do you choreograph something like this? So we we so the Anadain are about between seven to ten feet tall, plus floating, and they kind of hover above the ground. Exactly. So one of the things that we knew that we had to do was we needed first of all we weren't going to just CG the whole thing. Uh, we needed to have a live actor with performance capture that would drive this on a dying being so that Kajorian or Jude had something to react to. Exactly. So we cast uh, a very athletic actor that Jude knows uh, named Jake Delaney. And he is kind of a stunt guy and stuff like that too. I think he does like a we bunch of- We put him on, uh, we put him on uh, kangaroo boots. Yeah, we put him on like these sort of high tech stilts to be able yes. to get that, you know, height differential so that when uh, Jude was looking at him, he knew exactly, you know, where the eye lines would be and stuff like that. And when they would fight, you know, Jude's strikes wouldn't seem like he's just hitting air and they were fake. Like we wanted impact and we wanted that intensity to come through. So Jake and Zephanie uh, Uzoka. Who was the uh, stunt man, the stunt um, choreographer, the fight choreographer. Yeah, choreographer. Stunt stunt man on this um, movie. Yeah, they got together and they choreographed a bunch of uh, fight scenes. And um, should we should we say a little tidbit? <laughs> um, yeah, it's up to you, man. Okay, cool. I'm here so, for it. <laughs> so um, the actual guy is not Jude behind the mask, right? Uh, in the first fight, it's uh, it's Zephany. You it's know, actually it, Zeph. It's yeah. actually Zeph, and we were able to film all of the fight scenes with him. Right. You know, because um, my brother was not was was not um, he was athletically built. But not to the extent of like uh, he had to learn a whole fight scene. So we're like, well, you know what? He's going to have his helmet on for the first part of the fight. Right. Let's put Zephanie in the armor, have him do all the fight uh, fight stuff. The, the then, complexity thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Because there's an that elegance. Makes sense. Yeah. Yes. And there's an elegance to the Kathigas are, you know, all about their sword fighting and their, their art of war. So. Zeph is like this martial black, you know, black, black belt, belt martial artist and all mm-hmm. that stuff. So 
the more elaborate choreography we let Zeph do, but then when the helmet comes off, which is, uh, you, you can take us into that part, Rob, but essentially now Kajorian is, ex is exposed, he's injured, his fight's a little bit more rugged and brutal, and then that's when uh, Jude really shines in, in bringing that aspect to the choreography. Oh, yeah, he comes up from the shadows after you see, like, his... Yeah, you know his visor or whatever he's looking through on his mask is busted it's off he's like you see his breath coming out and you can just feel he is ready to keep this fight going and like Jude's look here is terrifying yeah, like is. this is not a guy you want to make angry right <laughs> Right. He sits there and what does he yell like come for me? Yeah. Come for me. God. Which was improvised actually. That was not on the script. The original sequence of that's of that part of the script was that he's looking around and the Anadine has kind of extinguished its light and is stalking him and you just hear him kind of like pass by him and stuff, which you get one shot, right? That he's getting stalked and stuff. But essentially it's like he notices a reflection on the on the side of his sword and when he turns around the Anadine's behind him. And Jude was like, I would really like just a moment where I taunt this guy and yell like something like, come get the, me or something. Is that the way the uh, conversation went? Yeah. I mean, he sort of told me that a couple of times and I was like, all right, well, you know, we can do one take and then we'll do it the other way that we're supposed to. But then he just let this lion roar out where he's like, come for me. And it became chilling that I was like, there's no way in hell that we're going to shoot anything else yeah. but this for that scene, because that was awesome like it, it was it was, so it was uh it was like um what do you call it i love you i know <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. Yeah, for real. <laughs> i really also like as this fight's going on there's like i'm not sure if it's actually slow-mo or if it's just an intense shot but i took note in my journal about like it's a real close-up on jude and you could just see that light like emanating as they're like clashing the sword yeah. and in the middle of this fight. And I just yeah. really liked that look because it also like showed how dark Jude's eyes were. Right. And not knowing the no sun, not knowing any of that other issues that we had right. talked about earlier. Right. It really just gave a, I don't know, when characters are fully thought out and also look uh, different than just a human in a costume. Like that sort of stuff stands out to the audience, and I really dug that. Well, that's and that's what I love about the the Kajorian character in the and the race of the Kathigas. Right. Period. You know, it's like they 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 look like humans, but at the same time they got these black eyeballs. They really really and it, it makes them very unique. Yeah. As a race among among tons of alien races that you've ever seen in in uh, in all of your history of just watching space, you know, like sci fi movies. This race is very thought out and very unique. Actually, both, all three of them, you know, the Sephirian Emissary, right. the Kathiga, sure. and, and of course the Anadayin, they're all very well thought out. And that's kudos to you, Rob. Thanks, man. Well, you're, you're giving me chills with, no, like, you know, most people have a hard time remembering all those names and stuff like that. The fact that, you know, it's just, it's cool, man. I, for me, one of the, one of the best moments when I was filming this movie, guys, was literally when Kajorian... And I say this all the time, but like when when Jude walked out finally with the wig on and the eyes and everything on and everything, it was it was so surreal because this was a character that I had had in my mind looking at me for so long since you were 13, 14 yeah. years old. And and wow. there he was manifested in front of me. And, and Jude's performance is so convincing that like it I mean, it's not Jude there. It disappears. It's Kajorian shining through. And and he really oh, totally. understood it. 
So, so it was really cool. And he also, you know, Jude pushed Kajorian in different ways that I had not conceptualized before, right? which gave him more flavor now that I'm into like, oh, well, now I like this aspect of it. And again, that's just one of those relationships where you see, again, a director working with actors and what the actors can bring to the table in a movie, which is yeah, a big exactly. deal. So, yeah. Actors so are creative people too, you know? Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, completely agree. Quick question. We're a little over halfway in the short, yeah. but- Rob, you just said something that struck a chord with me. Um, was there a different, like when you were 13 or 14, is there anything that stands out to you like differently from the character creation then as what they evolved into? I mean, the characters evolved over so long. Kajorian, I think back when I first started, because what people don't know, and you get this only if you see the last end credit scene at the end of the film, is that Kajorian is actually the villain of the first actual feature film of the Riven franchise. And yes, Kajorian, for me, was just a villain. And the more that I started exploring Kajorian, um, the more that I realized this is one of the most interesting characters I have. And I, and I kind of started to flesh out his backstory as to how did he become evil. And I really enjoyed that process of going back and finding depth to him that... Mr. You know Jude really kind of uh, why is why why are you looking at me like that, Peter? Hmm. <laughs> uh, what did we review? Uh, what did, what was the last movie that we reviewed? Superman. <laughs> mm. Oh, oh, he did, that's right, that's right. He didn't like the bill. <laughs> but anyway, okay. That okay. that aside, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> he did evolve. He did evolve, and and I think that Kajorian is more. There's more depth to him, and there's definitely more of a. Um, I don't want to say human because he's not human, but there is an emotional side to Kajorian that I didn't know was there. And I really kind of dove deep into it more so when I started writing this script and then Jude really brought it out. So, so yes, there, there was definitely an evolution as That's to so who cool. he was. Yeah. He's more Kathagana than the average Kathagana. <laughs> I like that. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. So the fight goes on. We see that like, I mean, they're standing their ground, but then, uh, the Kajorian gets spun around and gets stabbed by the light blade that's coming out. And and I'm sorry, tell me how to say the name of the light. Anadayin. Anadayin. So the Anadayin, so think of it like uh, so, the T-1000 from uh, from Terminator. You know, the, yes. the, the entire body is made out of pure light and his hands are yes. blades. So he's like... <laughs> right. So he uses that that energy to like kind of pierce and cut through and stuff like that too. So And so, yeah, the Anadayin just gets a good one into the Kajorian side. And it looks like this is almost over. Like he has met his maker. And uh, instead, the emissary flies up, distracts the Anodyne, and in doing so, also gets killed. But in doing so, the cryptogram falls, falls to the side and the Kajorian is able to throw his sword at the Anodyne, uh, which was quite a moment. I would say that. Well, <laughs> when, when, when I saw that, when I saw that particular part, the sword just spinning around and then hitting the Anodyne. And, and keep in mind, by the way, Peter saw this in, in an animatic that I had yes. drawn first uh, and animated shit. so that, like, you know, we did this because... 
I knew that we weren't going to have a lot of time to shoot a very elaborate movie. So I needed to basically film the movie, conceptualize it from the beginning. And I would show the shots to the crew so that we knew what we were going to shoot exactly on set. So Peter had already seen this sequence. Smart. But here's That's the thing. Cool. The, the, the You and I are kind of like on the same wavelength as far as this is con- uh, uh, as right. far as some of these shots right. are concerned. Right. Because the way I envisioned it in my mind was he throws the sword, it's spinning, and then all of a sudden the camera zooms in on the sword while it's spinning. You know right. what I mean? Right. That's the right. way I envisioned it too. I was like, that's exactly what I was thinking in my head. Right, <laughs> you know? right, right, right. Oh, it was so beautiful. I love seeing like, the yes. Anodyne like spinning around as if like, I don't know, it was a, it lost a wheel to its car or something, you know? Right. It's like, it's out of control. It is hurt, you can tell. And uh, Jude or the um, Jude goes over and, and comforts the emissary as she's dying. Right. And uh, we kind of see the little glimpse of the cryptogram there. And right. And we fade to black and fade back up to the crispy body right. of the, the Anodyne. Yeah. Which I yes. thought was very, very well done by, Sa- oh, her name's Sally Park. The, uh, yeah, the production the, designer. The production designer. She, oh. She's the one that put together the sand and the, I transported all of it, but she put it all together. Yeah. The sand and, <laughs> the, and quite, the rocks. And he says that because it was actually really it difficult was, yeah. to get all of those materials to build that set. Oh. And then we couldn't even get it into the stage. Some of the no, rocks no, were too one, big. One of them. So Rob wanted this huge, enormous rock because uh, I was sending him <laughs> pictures of all because I went to this rock sto- styrofoam rock yard for rocks. Right. And 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 I was showing I was sending pictures back to Rob and Rob was all like, um, I want the biggest fucking rock you get, you can find. Right, I was right, all like, right. okay. So we piled it all into this tr- into the U-Haul. I think it was a U-Haul yeah, truck yeah, or Coyote yeah. truck, whatever. And we couldn't get this big fucker into the stage so yeah, we just no, we we gave up it. on it we, we <laughs> couldn't fit it into the stage it was way too big <laughs> way too big the funny thing about this peter says that he's sending me pictures the reason was because i had broken my arm in seven places like three oh, weeks God, that's before another story in of itself and <laughs> oh, i had been shit. in the hospital and after surgery so i couldn't actually physically leave the house and drive to do this so peter and i and this is again the testament to peter's producing He's put this movie together with with the other associate producer, the other producer, um, Levis and and Peter Massetta, but mostly Peter Madrigal doing all the hard labor of stringing this movie while I was rendered basically, you know, immobile for incapacitated, for, yeah, incapacitated for for a couple of weeks right before the shoot. Okay, I mean, so this yeah. guy, this guy, Rob, is playing golf. No, no, playing soccer. Soccer, sorry, yeah, soccer. Uh, so Ro- Rob's playing soccer four weeks before we're up. Pictures up. And, uh, and then, um, me, I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I get this like text message from Rob. He's like, oh, I broke my arm. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, sure you did. And he's like, no, no, seriously, I broke my arm. So then I went to see him at the hospital. Yeah, he was the first there. person to visit Yeah, I was the first person. Yeah, yeah. I walk in oh. and I'm like, oh my God. You know, I see him and I'm like, okay, but you're not paralyzed. So you can still direct a movie. You'll well, just be on crutches. It was really funny, right, <laughs> Rob? And I know this is a lot of us talking, but like it was really in, it was really intense because I was in the hospital. It was the second day. And then in comes Peter, the first person to visit me. And I remember he slapped his forehead sort of and he's like, oh, fuck. Are we going to be able to do this thing? Like this is the first thing that went through his mind. Yeah. And I was not, like, yeah, not, no, no, we're good. Oh, we're good. Are we're you good. okay, man? Can you get you some orange juice? No, no. I was all like, <laughs> fuck, are we going to be able to uh, the first because the thing that was going through my head was all like, OK, You'll be in a wheelchair, but you'll still be able to direct the movie. So you're fine. <laughs> well, luckily, Rob, I didn't I mean, end up I can in a wheelchair. Imagine, huh. I can imagine, though, Rob, that you were probably just like, actually, 
thank God I got someone that like wants to keep going with this. Oh thing. no, absolutely, you know? absolutely. Like, what do you, you don't want to? I think, of course, it's nice to have people caring about you, but at the same time, it's like, hell yeah, the movie is or the show must still go yeah, on. Yeah, absolutely, man. And and again, man, uh, you know, Peter as a friend and and as a as a you know creative partner and working uh, business partner, man. I mean, I, I that's why. Honestly, this movie would not have been able to be done without Peter Madrigal. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. But yeah, no. Wow. So, um, so Kajorian comforts the emissary, the Sephirian emissary. She dies and begging Kajorian to, um, to uh, find the Riven. Which hell of a death scene. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, really you know, powerful. Kajorian, he yeah. pulls out his sword from the burnt corpse of the Anadayin. And then he, uh, it's probably my favorite movie in the uh, moment in the movie. Yeah. Uh, this is one of my, when he looks at the corpse, he's all like, I'm going to take that cloak and I'm going to wear it like a space emperor. Yep. Who's, uh, who's just defeated one of the biggest baddies in the, uh, in the universe. Yeah. This was his trophy that he took. Yeah. And then Schulte, you'll love this little tidbit. Um, <laughs> He gets a he gets a Skype call. I guess would you call it a Skype call? <laughs> a, a tech uh, nanotech high tech, high nanotech tech, uh, Skype, Skype call. call. <laughs> yeah, from he uh, FaceTimes with someone on here. Did you recognize them, Rob? Did you recognize that guy, Rob? I did recognize this guy, no, and it not. all came. Cra- we, and we'll get to it, but it all came crashing back to a scene I saw many years ago on a television show. Woo! All right. Uh, all right. <laughs> fill us in. Fill us in. Fill us in about so, said TV show. So I remember, and I don't remember which season, but uh, uh, a show called Vanderpump Rules where Tom Sandoval just couldn't get the lines right for a sci-fi film that he had a part in. He just kept flubbing up the lines, and it made for, you know, a funny part on VPR. Yeah. But now seeing it here, you would have never have known. I mean, like, I can, it's Tom right there on the screen. But then I was like, oh, my God, this is the scene that Tom was That's right. his lines on. That's right. Yeah. Kind of all comes Tom full Sandoval. circle, right? Yeah. Wow. So, but tell me about this. I mean, because I also saw, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but like Ariana was had a part producer role, maybe on this. Yeah, Ariana had associate. A, yeah, as, uh, Ariana had an associate producer role. She she actually um, helped fund a little bit yeah, of it. Yeah, she and, actually uh, donated money to the production. And she also uh, was kind of like the assistant to Tom Sandoval, helping him get his. Uh, Get his stuff together, like yeah. his contacts, his and hair, his ready hair. and all that. Yeah. <laughs> she brought, she drove him, and then drove back to their house to get some stuff. Then drove back to. Oh, that's right, yeah, because Tom had forgotten something, and she brought it back. But cont- she had the contacts, the contacts, yeah. And he had, he had such oh, a wow. great energy about. She had such a great energy about her on set that day too. It was great. So very cool. But uh, so yeah, walk me through this. He's he's making the FaceTime call to Tom, the Kajorian. Is, uh, uh, Kajor- but, yeah, Kajorian's making the FaceTime call to. Tom Sandoval, who is uh, playing Staka, the right hand man to um, Kajorian, and there's a there's a second guy actually in the deeper mythology. His name is Kirak, but we couldn't show him in the in the span of the of the film. But Staka is a very interesting character, and that's uh, who Tom who Tom portrayed. So which, that's cool. Which initially this, like, was going to be Peter Madrigal, by no. the way. No, no, we no, were going to no. do a cameo, really? but uh, but he suggested Tom Sandoval, who uh, he's like, oh, he's an actor, he's good, and you know we should have him on there. And I was like, all right, all right, we're, we'll we'll do it that way. But uh, I didn't. I, cool. I'm not a good actor. I, I'm just not an actor. It's it's <laughs> it's very true. 
So Staka is like, hey, got a ship coming your way. Don't worry, man. It's all going to be good. And uh, Kajorian looks down at the cryptogram and is like, what's this? Solar system? A sword? We got a new destination. Boom. Right. And there's and a so, subtle moment there, too, where he looks at the emissary's body, which, which uh-huh. uh, has been covered by his old cape. And it's a moment where he realizes there's been a sacrifice done for it, for this whole cause. Mm-hmm. And he yes. decides maybe there's a little more weight to this. And that's when he decides, hey, we need a new, we need to go somewhere new. And then the music Absolutely. comes in and. Yeah. I love, like, by the way, what did you think about the uh, music, Rob? personally i thought it was great i was actually telling my girlfriend about that i was just like you know so many times uh you'll see something and it looks great it's acted well it's a fun story and but something's missing and sometimes it's music you know because music is an expense that sometimes is not thought of first not always uh but man i really like felt it in the chest you know right as these credits started rolling and it really like the sounds and music that we got during the film itself told a story in itself, if that makes sense. What did you, uh, if you don't mind me asking, what did you think of the credit sequence, the the end credit sequence? You know, I thought it was good for uh, a couple of reasons. Like, I could read everything well, which sometimes in sci-fi films, you know, you get fonts and stuff that take you a moment to adjust to. Right. But it was clear and they were fun and they weren't over the top. You know what I mean? Yes. Like sometimes we can get heavy handed in that sort of area right. because text is easier to move around on screen than uh, other CGI effects, let's say. Right. But I thought it was really good and it kept me captivated, which is because I was not expecting a post credit sequence. Right. So, you know, I and I'm not I don't always walk out during the credits, you know, during a movie. I like to stay. But of course, you know, if it's just scrolling text and you're getting to the point of all the music, like if I'm at the theater, whatever that was Mm -hmm. like back in the old times, um, you know, you start, you know, cleaning up your popcorn or whatnot. But this kept me on there. And then it's like, oh, shit, we're not done yet. And you know what the irony about all this is? You want to tell him, Peter? No, you go for it. All right. Well, you know, we we first had no intention of sending this film to film festivals. I, I decided I wanted to send it to film festivals after attending one in Atlanta with some friends of mine that had a film there and saw the, com- the competition. And I was like, wow, you know, we really should give the Rive and its, its due diligence and, and put it in festivals because I think it can shine. We actually got rejected from a number of festivals because they said that our end credit sequence was too long, which for film festivals, what? I understand. Yeah. Okay, I mean, I'm ignorant here, but like, that's yeah, it's, unbelievable, right? It's uh, you know, festivals want to fill seats and be able to get to the next films quickly, but you know, we didn't want the main reason why I wanted a big end credit sequence wasn't because I wanted to make anything elaborate. It was because I wanted to give every single one of those people who worked their asses off on the film their due credit, which. You know, there was no way in hell that I was going to back that down. You know what I mean? Like they all no. deserve their recognition for their hard work. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, we got rejected from from some festivals for that, which I thought. was Yeah, we did. But I was one of those guys who was saying, look, uh, I'm going to stand my ground. I don't want to cut this thing down. I love right. the end credit scene. I love the credits. And uh, if they want to reject us, fine. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Keep totally. that in mind. Totally. But uh, well, it kept my attention the whole time. And then we see 
the ship arriving at Sephiriah? Yes. Was that right? Yes, that's yep, correct. That's yeah. correct. I thought this was a very beautiful visual watching the uh, the ship go through the clouds, the atmosphere, and then like almost like a sunset behind these mountains. Yes. You know, I but, like I will say this, not to cut you off, Rob, I'm sorry, but I will no, say this about this this scene. Uh, I love the entire movie, but this is probably my favorite scene in the entire film. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And you see this like temple mm-hmm. in the distance that is just subtle enough to keep your attention. You know, it's it's there's there's like sharp angles and it looks futuristic, but then there's just like a few blue lights and then just raises enough questions. You kind of already know what's going on from the previous scene. Right. But like the stark contrast with the orange and blue was was really captivating. That's awesome, Rob, because again, from a production standpoint, you know, Sephiroth is a very different planet. It's a planet that uh, is in a in a warmer sun. So it always kind of seems to have beautiful sunsets. And I personally love sunsets in films. So I wanted to put one in a world of mine. But this is a very different world than than Kathigana, which I think just just by doing that. Literally night and day. Yeah, Hey-o. literally night and day. Uh, <laughs> but it just offers that much more scope to the film that there. this is a much bigger universe. And I'm glad I, we do get a lot of positive feedback from that 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 scene and that a lot of people think that it's you know, they think like you, Rob, they really enjoyed the visual nature of it just to offer something different. And it brings the scope up. I, I actually really enjoyed working on that sequence a lot. That's awesome. I love the little flips and spins that the ship does just before it like lands. Then we see Kajorian walking in the temple and then you get a like the you get a visual of how big this place is because he is walking down this huge platform and he's just the tiny little guy right. in the corner. And mm-hmm. it is so cool. And you can tell because he's got the red cape on from before. Right. And uh, these doors open up and you see the sword. That's right. The Riven. Yep. We see the doors open. We see the Riven there. And then what do we hear? We hear Kajorian say, the Riven is mine. And he gives it this look right before we cut to black. And then we hear that line. Yes. The Riven is mine. And that's just the subtle cue that I wanted to leave off with because it's going to leave the audience obviously wanting more. But it was to hint, all right, this is the beginning of Kajorian's descent. This is how he became evil this is the this is the beginning of his actual story within the riven franchise and uh i think every single person that has seen the short film always tells me the same thing i want more <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know so it's uh that's a really good uh good feeling to end a movie on so hell yeah well we've we talked about it in the matrix episode a little bit that like you know that created a universe for better or worse but like <laughs> right right uh also created like video games and the Animatrix. And I was thinking about this, and I think I might have even said it to some friends. Well, let me take this again. I know I said this to my girlfriend at the time. I was like, I want to see this movie. I want to see this world, and I want to play this video There you go. That's awesome. (laughs) I want to be there. I want to fly that ship, That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Yeah. 
God, what a fun, fun episode, guys. I am so happy that you were able to like, that you brought this to the table, Rob. This is such, such a cool, smart look, man. Well, I, I just, you know, I, I really appreciate uh, your perspective on the film. And I, you know, overall, I wanted to get your your take, what, what, what your thoughts were when you walked out of that. Because um, the one thing that, that changed this all, I think for Peter, I'm speaking for Peter on this one, I'm sure he'll weigh in on it, but we got the privilege of watching this movie in an actual movie theater on an IMAX screen because we shot it in 8K originally and, and we outputted it to a very oh, high format. And we shot this sucker on the Red Dragon. Yeah, yeah. So we shot it between Whoa. 6 and 8K for a lot of the sequences. So, you know, once we got to see, you know, we had seen the film several times on a computer, on a TV, but, and there were people that had seen the film with us uh, also on computers and TVs. But then when we got to see this on the big screen, you know, it almost brought me to tears just one, because a, it's like a dream come true to see it in a movie theater. But at the same time, it just changed the experience just that much that it felt so much more epic in scope. It, it really, it just showed the potential of everything that I wanted to accomplish with this film is to show a glimpse of a bigger world. And I think that it did just that on the big screen. Yeah, no, um, when, when this, when we got into this, uh, film festival, I think it was the, 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 the Silicon beach, Silicon film, festival. beach film festival that happens over here in, um, uh, LA. Um, I asked the, uh, the people that were doing the, the scheduling for the, for the short films that night, um, if they could move our movie to the second or yeah, third we were spot. first second, in the slot. We second, yeah. second spot. Right. So the first yeah. film that came up looked like it was shot on like this iPhone. You know, so this little box yeah, on this big screen, it, it was like it was hard to follow and it was, you know, very boring. Right. And but I wanted it to I wanted the Riven to go on second because, you know, we had people coming in. You know, we had guests coming in that wanted to see the movie, you know, and yeah, on the big late, screen. Yeah. And uh, I'm sitting there. And as this uh, as the first film ends oh, yeah, on right. the little box. Right. This it, it shouldn't have even been on the big screen. All of a sudden, the the screen i see the screen starting starting to move and open start to open up right the and i was like expanded the, yeah. yeah the entire screen started expanding i was like oh in the back of my head i'm like oh my god here we go here we it's coming <laughs> here we go it's starting you know what i mean yeah. and then it started and i was like i was in the seat of my pen you know because last night i was watching it on my tv which is big but i mean this was like the most epic I mean, it's it's kind of interesting and surreal to watch something that you've worked on actually appear on the silver screen. And and w I will say the film, the festival director told this to us. For, we had a pre-party when the films were being announced and stuff. And he really did tell the audience that, you know, our film was by far the film that they thought was made for the big screen. Of all the films they had received, they're like this one definitely was made for the big screen and that was the biggest compliment we could ever get because seeing it on the big screen yeah it it definitely changed i mean rob if, if we ever get an opportunity to screen it again or something uh i highly recommend that you attend because I'm buying uh, my plane ticket the moment the, you let me know that yeah, Hell yeah it you definitely are. <laughs> uh gives it a different feel and it does. uh it well, was awesome. because like i mean Obviously, I like we said, I wasn't able to see it on the big screen. But the first time I watched this, you know, a, a few months back, I was like, okay, I'm watching it on 4K on my laptop. I got 
15 inches here that I can, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Hey, it's not the size that matters, man. It's how yeah, you of use course, it. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> but then I went to rewatch for this episode and I did the same thing. I pulled it up. And so then I went to rewatch it for this episode and I was like, what the hell am I doing? I got a 48 inch over here. There we go. Why don't I just cast it onto the TV? And although that's not a, you know, movie screen, I watched Gladiator on this TV. I watched The Matrix on this TV. And I watched fucking The Riven Destiny on this TV. Nice. And it was exactly the same movie-going experience. Sweet. And I know I'm like a very complimentary guy. I'm a positive guy. I like to look at the good things in all of this. But I'm not blowing smoke here. Like, this was a fucking blast and was a legit awesome watch. And in 4K... This shit is crisp. Nice. Boom. Well, I love that, that. Thank uh, you. That's awesome, man. And Thank you. Uh, hopefully, you know, the audience will share your sentiment. But uh, yeah, the Riven's out there, guys. If you guys go to YouTube and look up the Riven, R A I V E N, Destiny, you can find it and uh, watch it. And watch some of the behind the uh, scenes featurettes. One of them's called uh, Becoming Kajorian, and there's definitely more on the way. Oh, yeah. So. And I'll tell you this I- I'll do you one better, Rob. I'm going to put a link to this episode, or I'm going to put a link to the Riven Destiny in the show notes of this. So awesome. people can, if they listen to it right now, they can click on it right now. Boom, baby. Awesome. And go watch. Awesome, guys. Well, thank you yeah. guys for taking the time to review uh, the Riven Destiny. This was, uh, this was cool to get your perspectives on it, man. This was awesome. Absolutely. Um, do you want to take us home since this was your choice, Rob? Uh, sure. Yeah, no. Let's. Uh, so, anyway, guys. Uh, this has been Madrigal at the Movies, reviewing the Riven Destiny, right? Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob. Uh, I'm Rob Federick signing off. Thank you guys for uh, listening. And remember to rate and give us a thumbs up or any uh, five-star podcast or any of that information. Rob, do you do, you do that part because I suck at that. So Hell yeah. No, we're all here to learn. There are a lot of ways that you can help these podcasts. One of them is five stars on Apple Podcasts. You can start on on uh, Overcast. You can like it on Google Play. Whatever you use, just let other people know you like the show, right? Absolutely, <laughs> baby. All right, guys. Hell yeah. And let's thank Connor for editing this one. Yes. Thanks, Connor. Thank, you, thank Connor. you, Connor, for being awesome. the man. Hell yeah. Well, see you guys next week. Awesome. Bye, guys.